What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with Aaron Fitt and Clint Longnecker, I'm John Manuel. Clint is trying to steam us out of this <laughs> doggone conference room with his space heater. It's 84 <laughs> degrees outside today, and Clint's got his space heater going, and he's wearing a jacket in this conference room. He's got a T-shirt on, collared shirt, and a Metropolitan Baseball Classic jacket, and a space heater. It's an outrage. And this is, but this I is miss be- Florida. But the reason for this is, A, Clint misses Florida, and B, he was at every summer showcase this summer. But in the between covering summer showcases at Area Codes, East Coast, East Roast Showcases, they used to call it, uh, PG National, basically, you name the showcase, he was there, um, both big all-star games. Clint also did a lot of summer college baseball coverage and a ton of Team USA coverage. I mean, he shadowed Team USA until they went to honkball and Cuba. Um, Aaron Fitt, of course, uh, headlines our college coverage, and that included uh, marshalling all of our forces for our, what, 18 summer college league top prospect lists? We did 20-plus Team USA. So we got 20-plus Team USA. So summer college baseball growing like a weed. And uh, I I would love to be the guy with the roundup. But summer summer college baseball is is here to stay until the college baseball season ever is played during the summer. So while I have my issues with summer college baseball and the leagues, many of the leagues, a lot of the leagues do, Aaron – do a great a there's a, more than 120 years of tradition in the Cape Cod League, uh, similarly long tradition, not that long, but a lot of tradition in the Alaska League. You have 20 years and more than a million fans now have gone to Northwoods League games over the years, which is ridiculous and a great uh, experience for those players to get to see what pro ball, get a taste of what pro ball is like. So summer college baseball certainly has its uh, downsides, and I kind of wish it didn't exist. I wish that summer that baseball, college baseball, would have played in the summer. But there are a lot of great things. That, what's your biggest takeaway, I guess, annually from summer college baseball? Is it more what it leads to in the next draft, or is it more as an indicator of what it leads to for the next college season? Which which do you weigh more? Are they kind of, or is it a tie in your mind? It really depends what league you're looking at. You know, I mean, if we're talking about talent level for the next year's draft, which is why. Um, all these scouts spend all you know so many resources go- scouring the Cape Cod League. I mean, every organization yeah. um, has has a lot of different um, scouts that they run in there. I mean, area scouts, cross checkers, scouting directors spend a lot of time in the Cape, and um, there's a reason for that. It's because you know, as 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 we've we've written, as we've seen, um, there's just a gluttony of. of um, top round guys that come out of that league every year, and the same with Team USA. I mean, so when you're, when you're talking about the Cape and Team USA, extremely valuable for looking at the next year's draft class. All the rest of the leagues, um, and, and the North Woods is valuable for looking at guys who will be in the Cape and USA next year right. and have a chance to be first rounders in a couple of years. Uh, don't have a lot of guys in North Woods who are elite guys for the following year's draft. That's just a fact. But, yeah. Um, but it's still, you know, I mean, it's a good place to see freshmen who are going to develop. It's a good place to see second-tier prospects from a draft standpoint. Yeah, 6th to 15th rounders, basically, exactly. is what you're looking exactly. at. Exactly. That's kind of the sweet spot for the North Woods League. But, um, you know, but for most of these leagues, we're talking about you might have a couple of guys here or there that have a chance to, to you know, 
uh, make a splash in pro ball. Um, a lot of the guys on these lists, on these lower tier leagues, have a chance to be good college players, and that's that that has value. You know, it has value identifying those guys, um, but it's not necessarily the same value as identifying the top guys in the Cape. Right, and then one thing that has definitely changed in this, and Clint, you can definitely chime in on this as well, is that it used to be most of your summer leagues, your top pitchers often would throw 40, 50 innings in summer college ball. I, mean, I remember, uh, I use this anecdote too often, but I'll say it again. Jeremy Sowers threw 60 innings back-to-back summers in the Cape after he was Vanderbilt's number one starter as a Friday guy as an unsigned first-round pick his freshman and sophomore years. And you can go back in the USA Baseball archives to past seasons when the collegiate national team played more robust schedules in terms of more higher number of games, and they would play, you know, or they would have a starting pitcher who would go. You know, we had, uh, I remember Bobby Brownlee in 2001 throwing a complete game, last game of the summer for Team USA. And you can go back, Ricky Romero threw like 50-plus innings for Team USA one summer. Jared Weaver threw 47 innings in the summer of 2003. That never happens for the college national team anymore. So their schedule is more... It's a shorter schedule. Uh, a lot of their games are part of their trials that they play here yeah. in the Coastal Plain League. And, Clint, as a result, it feels like uh, – but, but despite that, I should say, it feels like USA Baseball still gets, for the most part, the cream of the crop of summer college players. You know, both of you guys want to touch on that. But if you're looking at the top of the Cape list and the top of USA Baseball's list, I mean, last year's USA Baseball team, and you can lay this out some – that was a historically – strong USA college national team from a draft perspective. but uh, So I guess maybe touch on that a little bit, and then maybe we can jump off into how this year's USA team measures up. Yeah, just, just to kind of provide some of the numbers you talked about, the leader for Team USA this year in innings was Kyle Funkhauser with 28. And then just to run down our Cape list, um, and how many innings those guys got, Walker Bueller, 28, Handhold, 28, Bickford, 27. Quite a few of the guys on the list, the majority of the guys were below 30 innings for this year. But but yeah, for for this for this year's uh, USA team, that's I mean, definitely changed. That, that I'll have to. I'm gonna while you guys talk about this, I'm gonna find an old almanac and I'll show you just how much that's changed. And there were a few guys who were on the other end of the spectrum with uh, Duchesne, Irwin, and uh, Jacob Jacomi who all had over over 50 innings. But but the plural, plurality of the guys were below. But you, you talk about the team US team USA, and they've always been able to get high caliber starting pitchers, and that was that's kind of the carrying trait for this year's club. You look at all the guys who were able to get some innings in the rotation this year, and they all have a chance to be top two-round guys, if not the top two-round guys, for this year's class. You know, and, and I feel like, I think you and I both think that um, th- this class, from a college standpoint, um, is pretty wide open at the top. No question. But, you know, we have a couple of these premier middle infielders, and I, I think one of the real strengths of this class, Clint, is at, is at shortstop. Um, you know, it's rare I mean, in college class, but you're absolutely right. It is, isn't it? I mean, because first of all, the, the, the top two guys, position players on your list for Team USA were Bregman and Swanson, who um, I think, you know, we both think have a chance to, to be shortstops in the big leagues. I think so. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, they have, you know, both these guys, they, they have things to prove. Various, you know, I mean, you could take your pick on those two guys. But, uh, and then you got, you know, in the Cape, you got a depth of some shortstops. Uh, Richie Martin, Kevin Newman, TJ Hinojosa. Um, you had Mikey White, you had Cal Simmons, all those guys made the Cape list, and there were other shortstops who got some support in that league too. So, um, you know, I, I think it's I think it's surprisingly an area of, of strength 
um, for this class. And you also had Ian Happ move to the outfield. There's still a chance, it sounds like, that he could play second base, although yeah. that, that hope is dwindling. But that's another a- athletic infielder who can hit, potentially, sure. in this class. He but he's not me, a shortstop. He strikes me at this point as more of like a like a Derek Fisher sort of a profile. I mean, hmm. he's not built the same as Derek Fisher, but I think he's going to be that athletic corner speed. outfielder that brings some speed, a, a big-time strength. hit tool, some strength, exactly. Uh, to me, that that is how he's starting to profile. As a, and, the, and the infield doesn't matter as much. It doesn't seem like it. His bat, there's more certainty in his bat, yeah. though, yeah. than a lot of these other guys we're talking about. I do think that's a great jumping-off point for the college class. A lot of these guys, not all of them, but a lot of these guys are in the Southeastern Conference. You have in our press release, Aaron, about how the SEC has the most players on this. But Dansby Swanson, Alex Bregman at the top of this USA team list, Richie Martin, uh, then Mikey White, who are both in the top 15 in the Cape list. Let's talk about those SEC middle infielders really quick. I think after last season, Aaron, we came in expecting, like even from the day one, we walked out of the trials of the college national team, Clay, we Walk up there expecting this kind of to be Alex Bregman's team. Aaron, he had an iffy spring, and he just wasn't consistent either this summer with the college national team. And he's not a classic profile guy, but I, I know you're a believer in Alex Bregman. So for listeners who want to be believers in Alex Bregman for their team toward the top of the 2015 draft, what do you base that belief on? Yeah, I'm in. I'm in on this guy. Um, you know, this guy to me, first of all, he's going to hit. He hits. He always has. Even this year, he, hey, you know, I know it's cliche. People always, um, you always hear coaches say, well, yeah, he hit a lot of hard atom balls, um, <laughs> you know. But the guy hits lasers all the time. And he, he, hey, sometimes you get a little bit less lucky. And I'm not saying, you know, that was all it was. But in the first half of the season, um, he, he, he had some bad luck. Right. He, he pressed a little bit. He got into a slump. And then it took him a while to dig out of it. But by the... Um, you know, in, in SEC play, he really his numbers were, as you pointed out, were not very good. Um, but he was better down the stretch than he was early. Um, and you know, it's just the swing is just so compact, and it just yeah. he just has such a, a high frequency of hard line drive contact. Um, and you know, I also believe in the defense. That's the other thing. I think he's a shortstop. You know, and I know it's not your prototypical rangy. Um, Ultra fast, you know, kind of and the looseness, right? I mean, exactly. There is there is a little bit more effort to his actions, yes. maybe than a guy like Swanson, where there, there is a lot more looseness. Yeah. Um, more fluid, just a fl- more fluid player yeah. all the Swanson way around. More it's a f- more fluid Classic swing, athleticism. right? More fluid runner. Just, uh, but at the same time, it feels like Bregman has pretty special hands, whether yes. it's at the plate or in the field. That just feels like that's what makes him. That's a separating factor for him, it feels like. And his ability, for me also, to, to um, throw accurately on the run from various angles, um, positioning, I mean, footwork, I just think a lot of that stuff plays up for him defensively. And, and for Swanson, um, you know, as much as you love the athleticism, and, and I love Vansby Swanson too, don't get me wrong, um, we need to see him do it at shortstop. Right. He seems like a guy... Where you know there could be a learning curve, maybe. I mean, we we could see him make a lot of spectacular plays at shortstop this year, and, and also make I suspect he'll make more errors than Bregman will. Yeah, and some of the people who have actually seen him have history with him going back to high school. I think that is where he struggles actually is on the balls in front of him because we know that he's got the range laterally, but they want to see how when he has time to really think about it. That's where they've seen him struggle in the past. That's going back a handful of years, so he's a different player now than that. But just to go back to Bregman, as you talked about, the frequency of contact, that's really one of the things that separates him. 
I mean, his strikeout numbers and his swing and miss rates are as good as any player in this entire class. I mean, you look at just over the course of his career, he only struck out in 7.7% of his plate appearances, and you couple that, which, you know, with the hard hit ability with, that you spoke about earlier, that's a rare combination. It would not surprise you that come, you know, two months into the season that he's hitting high high 300s, potentially low 400s, if he really goes out and stings the ball consistently as he's done throughout his career, and his contact rates are just that they're. They're at a different level than everybody else in this class. And I think like, so. He's, there's contact, but then, like you said, Aaron, it's hard contact. He's a line drive machine. I feel like Swanson's that guy as well. And I think the other you guys are talking about the defense. He has more swing in this. He does. There's more length there too. It's a longer. Yeah. It's a longer swing. There's no doubt. I mean, it's just I don't think he has as much impact offensively potential as Bregman. You know, unless there's some adjustments that are made. Do you think that the uh, maybe I just obsess on this, and if I do, we can move on quickly. Is it going to be harder to evaluate him as he moves to shortstop because he's playing on that turf at Hawkins Field next year at Vanderbilt, or is that a minimal factor? Uh, what do you think on that, Clint? Or? You know, that's a good question, um, you know, because especially, you know, you look at you look at infielders that come out of Texas. Yeah. Come out of, you know, I mean, Brandon Loy, field 989 every year, it seemed like. I mean, um, there's a reason that, you know, Texas and, and Duke and, you know, some of these programs – um, tend to have great fielding percentages. And part of it is because they really emphasize that stuff. There's something to be said for coaching defense a certain way. Certainly. Um, and there's something to be said for having turf that gives you a room service hop every time. Yep. And, you know, um, like he said, that the, is a factor. The question is for him is like the routine play, really, just being consistent. It should be easier on the turf for him. I just, you know, I still think he has, to me, I, I like Dansby Swanson's athleticism. I do th- I think I agree I think that he has the, the things that he has to prove uh, are going to be a little bit harder for him to prove than Alex Bregman, where you see the elements of the swing and you see that high contact rate, and he does when he hits the ball, it's impact. You feel like that's a guy who should bounce back significantly next year, and they, both those guys I, I think are you know going to be star college players in 2015. I would have to really collapse almost to not be first round picks. Those are two of the safer yeah. bets of first-round picks for next year's draft as these athletes who play in the middle of the diamond. We feel like, at worst, Bregman's going to be an offensive second baseman, right? I, I think he's, yeah. you know, and, and again, you hate to make these kind of comps, but I think there's a lot of Pedroia in him. We've you know? heard it. I mean, with the, We're not the ones making it. Scouts are the ones making that comp, and they don't want to make it either. Right. So, so anyway, I just, I, I believe in that guy. I'm all in. I'm all in already. Four seasons even started. <laughs> Um, Since so, so we've been talking about athletic SEC shortstop, let's talk about Rich Martin. He's yep. someone who really, really impressed at the Cape workout day. He showed some power to his pull side there, showed some arm strength, and we know that he can run a little bit. Aaron, what did you think of him on the Cape this summer? You know, he really um, helped himself on the Cape. Yep. I mean, it was – it was. Uh, I, I think people were, were pleased with what he did at shortstop, first of all, with his range and his, with his instincts. Um, his athleticism is really an asset. I mean, he can run. Um, and he's, you know, he's smaller. Um, he's not as tall as these other guys. Even Bregman, I think he's even shorter than Bregman. But, but he is again compact. Um, and, and I think that, you know, the swing works and he controls the strike zone fairly well. I mean, I think he's he's a nice overall package. Um, not as much power as those other two guys. Um, but he does have some strength. He's not a he's not a certainly not a slap guy. You know, I think he'll he'll hit a lot of doubles this year and some triples too because he can run um, and and a few home runs. But um, you know, I, I think. It was tough to separate those shortstops, but I mean, he's got a little bit more uh, of, of a live athleticism to him. 
um, than, than, than Newman and, and Hinojosa have. And he has the greatest chance to stay at shortstop, too, which, is, think which so. is a bit of a separating factor. I mean, I can, Some I, people think that Hinojosa is probably... Might be the best catcher in this class long term. This is a class <laughs> right now that lacks in, in catching depth at yeah. the college level. Yeah. They think that that's where his career could could end up. Um, so yeah, the, the defense really is just a separate factor for those. Certainly won't happen at Texas. But I'm, gonna, but I'm gonna throw a comp out there. This is not not something I've heard from scouts. I'm just gonna throw it out so there. Aaron fit is if you don't like it, pump, so go right back. Take at it with you. a grain of salt. But John, you were talking today about how great you think uh, Alex Mejia is and how good he's going to be in the big great leagues. comp. CJ Hinojosa, to me, is Alex Mejia 2.0. Great comp. I love that comp. He's a below-average runner with incredible instincts. It's easy to, to look at the body and kind of like, I don't know, you know, I'm worried about how he's going to project. But the guy's just a winner and a playmaker and a leader. And I love that comp. Man- a guy that managers and coaches will value more than scouts unless a scout goes and sees over more than a week. You have to see. Like that, that Arizona team in 2012, when you saw – them play over and over again. Every time you talk to people, they were like, their infield is special. And it was Mejia and Mejia's Breen on the left side, knowing who to get what ball. They played on that crazy big field with a fast, hard yeah. infield. And that team excelled defensively. Wasn't Newman the – no, Newman wasn't the freshman second base on that team, was he? he uh, or was he? No, he wasn't. It, it was, was a left-handed was... hitter guy. What's his name? Wilford Jackson? No, it was, no, it was no. Uh, the other guy. <laughs> You got drafted this year and can hit and can't field. I can't remember his name. Sorry, Arizona oh. second baseman. I know you're you know who I'm talking yeah. about. It's not Newman, but anyway, I can't remember his name. But Mejia keeps on – I keep on hearing that just doing Florida State League calls because there's some toolsy athletic shortstops in that league, and I've had several managers say, don't forget Mejia. The guy Mejia over at, uh, at Palm Beach was only there the first half of the season. That's another player that – he just the more you're around him, the more you see him play, the more people appreciate him. Anahosa strikes me that way. He certainly rose to the biggest stage, Aaron, for Texas in the College World Series. And he may not have the tools that profile you at shortstop, but he does has that playmaking ability. Uh that does impress me. Um Trent I'm, Gilbert. Trent Gilbert, thank you very much. Well done. Came to me. You are the college beat writer. There it is. Um now, is there, uh, Clint, the, the middle infield for the U.S. was pretty much Swanson and Bregman after they, once they were there. We saw Mark Mathias play a little bit there. I don't know, Aaron and I, I think I made this comp to Aaron that he's like Ryan Wright um, yeah. from Team USA like Pass, that. who's now in the uh, Reds organization, more of a good college player. But he just intrigued me, again, as a guy who, he, like he was there every time USA team needed a, a hit, and he wound up being their three-hole hitter for much of the summer. But he doesn't really. It doesn't seem like he profiles unless he can play second base. No, and for him to come in and have the, the summer that he had, that was extremely important. Because he's someone, even in talking with high level evaluators, they said that it was it was so critical that they got a chance to see him over extended plate appearances. Because you walk in, a, a cross checker could kill him in a one or two day look. Yep. Because he just he, he just looks fairly ordinary. If you just see the BP, he doesn't really show the raw power. He doesn't run that great, and a lot of the different things to look for in terms of impact aren't there, but then you see him over the course of a week. The quality of the bats were by far the best of anybody on the team. He had the best. Up, I, up the middle swing. But he had the best approach on the team. Yes. He was patient. Without a doubt. He wasn't afraid to take a walk, but when he got into a count where he was going to get a fastball, he was ready to hit a fastball. I mean, it's, yep. it is fairly simple. It's hitting 101, but he was ready to hit a fastball, even with kind of an old-school low-hands a hands-out-away-from-the-body yep. approach. Yeah. I, mean, I liked he, him. No, he, he really came on. He impressed a ton of evaluators. A very well-respected scout said that 
they thought that he was not in terms of the overall player that he would become, but just of where he was at this point last summer was a lot like Sam Travis. There are some higher profile hmm. position players on Team USA who are going to get more recognition, but he took great at bats, and the bat could end up becoming somewhere close to that because of the consistency that he brings. You're know, going to get the ball in play a lot. And I, mean, I just think back to that 14 pitch at bat that he had there in, in Durham Bulls Athletic Stadium. And I'm not sure if there are many other guys on that team that could have done it. And you question, you know, how much power is he going to hit for? Because he already has a kind of a fairly mature looking frame and lower half. And the hands are going to have to get better defensively. But if he can just figure some of those things out and if he can show a little more arm strength over at third base for that kind of fringe average to maybe average at best. Arm, he has a shot to go pretty good. Yeah, like an older school profile for me, like David Bell back when he played for the uh, Phillies and Mariners. That was a guy who was like a second baseman who probably wasn't, who was probably he was better suited to third base when you played him at second, and the bat was better suited to second than it was at third base. But that there, there's a future for Matthias, and just in my mind, I know he played some first and some third, but he also started off playing second base basically every day, along with uh, Blake Trahan until. Swanson showed up, but then once yeah, Swanson showed up, that team pretty much uh, took shape, uh, really solidified things. Um, yeah, we, he's got a presence about him, and, and so does Carson Fulmer. I mean, that's, you know, that, that Vanderbilt team, yes. boy, you know, and, and that's something that jumps out here when we're looking at the, the summer college rankings is uh, Vanderbilt had seven guys on all these lists, five of them on the Cape and Team USA, which is crazy. Uh, that just shows you the, the kind of high-level talent that this team is bringing back from last year's national championship team. That's insane. And, and, and you know, and they lost. About? And they lost talent. They Again. had talent. They didn't. They're not losing insignificant players. They're losing some of their key guys. They're, they're starting shortstop. They're basically the guy was mostly the, their number one starter in Tyler Beattie. I mean, they lost significant players from a national championship team. They lose the home run hero of the championship game as an NDFA, yeah. and they're still going to have plenty of talent coming back. Yeah, they're so. loaded. And, and uh, If you haven't heard, yes, John Norwood signed with the Marlins for, what, 235000 something like that. In that neighborhood, I think. It might be 250 yeah. It was a lot of money for an undrafted free agent. Yeah. I mean, well, they had know, a lot of money left. They did. They had yeah, a Marlins and that's team. a guy that, hey, he played well in the cage. Um, but, uh, he really stood out in the Fenway workout. Yeah, exactly. He's got physical tools yeah. for sure, and he matured a lot over the course of this spring. Uh, but, you know, that's, and that's one thing that Vanderbilt really does so well, not to get sidetracked here. But, um, you know, to me, and I wrote about this, I think, in Omaha this year, but just the way that, that Norwood and Ravenel Two guys that came in as, as kind of tooled up prospects that were raw in the first two years, neither of them really contributed that much. And right. by the time they were juniors, and especially the second half of the junior year, they were key players on a, on a college series team. And Adam Ravenel is out there getting the final outs to, to preserve the national championship. And Norwood's hitting a CWS winning home run. Um, great programs, you know, develop talent, and, and they do that. And you know, they've got so much talent coming back. And, and again, just the makeup. With Swanson and Fulmer. I mean, it's just... The coaching staff, they could not stop Ray Birmingham, both those two guys, especially Ray Birmingham. <laughs> to hear him talk about Swanson, just the reverence he had, the energy that he played the game with, and just the quality of the individual. It was it was really fun to just listen to him talk about Swanson. Well, let's talk about some of these other shortstops that were in the Cape. We've touched on Kevin Newman and then Mikey White, uh, Kai Simmons out of... Uh, Cal Simmons, I should say, out of Kennesaw State. I guess I'm most familiar with Mikey White, having done him, uh, worked him up for our draft coverage out of high school. It sounds like, again, the profile is, uh, from the pro level, is probably offensive second baseman. From the college side, though, Aaron, 
this sounds like the guy who can be your two or three hole hitter, your everyday guy. He's like you're gonna wear the C on the on the on the shirt for the captain's uh, your team captain. He sounds like, he sounds like the kind of guy you could potentially build a college world series team around. Is he that good of a college player? I think he is. I think he's you know. He, he's to me. He's a lot like Nolan Fontana. Um, Nolan Fontana. I mean, not not quite as Sorry. not not quite as as um, athletic, probably as yeah. Fontana was. I mean, I, I think you know. I think Mikey White is a second baseman at the next level. Yeah. But you can put him at shortstop, and I think he'll be all right. Um, you know, the foot speed is what is what's lacking there, and the arm is 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 good, but not great. Um, but you know, he's and you, you talk to scouts, and that was to me the thing that really jumped out about Mikey White is. You hear it from coaches, sure, but then you hear it from scouts, and scouts say this is a guy that's going to be a big leaguer, and you're going to win with him in the big leagues because he's a winning player. And you hear that time and time again from coaches and scouts. It means something. That's what makes me think, like from a SEC perspective, that's going to be very, somebody very good is going to be left off the All SEC team, probably yeah. at shortstop. But Mikey White seems like a guy who, as good as Swanson and Bregman are, would not shock me if Mikey White winds up being. Your first team all SEC shortstop at the end when it's all said and done next year, if he has a kind of offensive year that he's capable of, and if Alabama has a kind of team that you know his freshman class now juniors, there's some depth to that class, some experience, some talent. You've got a whole you know Mitch Gaspard, Dax Norris, those Andy Phillips. They've got all their guys in there. It's the, this staff's team from top to bottom, and you know the turbulence of the end of the Jim Wells era. It's pretty much behind them now. They've got things kind of where they want them to be. I expect a big jump from Alabama this year. I wouldn't be. I mean, they kind of took it last year. I know they lost some pitching talent, but it would, would not shock me though if Alabama they took that my, leap next year. They were my early eight for Omaha. So there I'm, you go. You know, and, and people raised some eyebrows actually when they saw that. But I, I, I like. I believe in that junior class and in their sophomore class too. Um, but you know, even in that that SEC, there are other shortstops who were in the Cape who didn't make my thirty. Logan Taylor from Texas A&M is kind of a um, you know a cheap five tool guy. He yeah, with everything. You plays know? with some energy he plays too, with right? Energy. He's, he's athletic. And then you've got AJ Simcox, who's I think a premier premier defender at, at Tennessee. Um, needs to needs to prove it with the, with the bat. I think he had yeah. I think he had what one extra base hit all year. Yep. I mean, in, in a full season, one double. I mean, that's almost <laughs> impossible. Well, just just for reference sake, to go back to my earlier point. He's got a big point. frame, too. I mean, yeah, he's a little exactly. just three. Projected power for him coming out of high school. Yeah. I mean, where right. is it? And in the Alaska League last summer, didn't yeah. he impact the ball last summer in Alaska fairly well? I think it was more more in terms of the extra base hits, not necessarily the home right. runs. But, but yeah, again, guys were projected. Nothing, you saw the body, the athleticism. Nothing that made you think one extra base hit in the cave. <laughs> no. That's no that, that wasn't in the cave. Oh, in the regular season. I'm sorry. 260 at-bats. That's, that's right. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's just that's kind of crazy. Yeah, it was hard for me to believe. I assumed you were talking about the cave. One extra base hit? Yeah. Can't blame the BB core bats on all these. <laughs> Can't blame it all on the BB cores. Just as a point of reference, so this year you had guys in the 50-ish range at innings pitched in the cape, right? So just 2008, Dallas Keuchel, according to the, just my quick look, led the Cape, 59 innings pitched. In 2003, you can go back and find Tim Stauffer, a big leaguer, 63 innings pitched. You went to 1998, you had Ben Sheets throwing 68. But in the Valley League that year, John Roush threw 85 innings wow. in the Summer College League. And in the Northwoods League that summer, a guy named Josh Novotny threw 100. So you used to have the 80. It's easy to go 10, 15 years back and five guys throwing 80 innings annually in these summer college leagues, and that generally doesn't happen anymore. No. But I think that a big part of that is just the prolif- proliferation of leagues, and it's hard to find guys to throw innings. 
I mean, it just it's just harder, I think, to find guys who can who can do that for you. Let's touch on some of these other leagues real quick. We just mentioned the Alaska League as an aside because we just talked about the uh, you know we were talking about AJ Simcox. Actually, before I do that, I wanted to ask you guys about a couple summer small college quote unquote breakout guys from the summer. You certainly had some in the Cape Aaron last year. I would say Ian Happ, even though he goes to Cincinnati, not a mid major, but Ian Happ was kind of the breakout guy of the Cape last year. This year, I guess it's got to be Cody Ponce and Gio Brusa, right? Yeah, I would say those two guys for sure. Uh, I think Kyle Cody did take a big step forward this year as, a, as it went from a guy that um, you know had the size and the arm strength but did not have the track record to really you know put himself in the conversation to be the number one overall pick uh, early. You know, and there's he, he's he's got a lot to prove. He's got a lot to prove. He's got to perform in the spring. But he's got a big body. He's got so he's got the size. He's in the SEC. Premium fastball and it's downhill He's, and with command. Yeah, so so he has these ingredients to go toward the front of a draft. Yeah, and then you know Mark Brakeman. He's gonna have to strike Stanford. out more than six and a half for nine. Yeah, he will. I mean, that's the big thing is he's got to miss bats. And he's got to right be. Now he's got to be the next uh, Jeff Hoffman. Is what you're saying? <laughs> he pitched primarily with his fastball this summer. He didn't use yeah. his secondary stuff that much, but he. I mean, you know, I've seen him spin a decent breaking ball, and scouts have too, and. Uh, I think there's some feel for a change-up, too. I, I think he's more polished maybe than people will expect him to be. Yeah. Um, but then, um, you know, Ponce, of course, I wrote a decent amount about this summer. Um, Mark Brakeman, you know, for Stanford, took that step forward. Um, so some of those guys really helped themselves. Garrett Clevenger. Ky- Kyrie Washington, I guess, was the other guy. Just kind of from off the map to on the map. <laughs> yeah. Completely off the map. And, and he's, a, he's a complete X factor because he's so raw. And his feel for hitting and his swing and miss is a real concern. Uh, but his huge, his, his raw tools are huge. I mean, it's very exciting power-speed combination, especially the power. And the power was just so easy. It was one of the easiest swings at the, at the Cape workout day in Fenway. And he was putting balls out to, to straightaway center field, just really mm. jumping off his bat. Good-looking athletic body. Like, I mean, like Aaron said, I mean, he can really run. It was a 6-5 run time, even though we discount some of the Cape uh, 60 times up there from this year. But yeah, the strikeout rate, I mean, he struck out in, I believe, 28% of his plate appearances at Longwood. So this is going to be a very atypical guy to come That's out of low the college major. class. This, this is kind of a high school or Latin sort of profile with the tools and with the rawness. Yeah. Um, was there a jump-up guy on the USA team? I guess it's kind of a little bit harder. because It's like Dylan Tate kind of was that guy, Clint, like a guy who didn't have a huge reputation coming into the summer. And made himself into a potential first-rounder. Yeah. Well, I think he and Tyler J, both of those premier power arms coming in out of the pen. And I think evaluators had uh, less history with Jay. A lot of people didn't even know who he was that until that first day when he comes in. And <laughs> first pitch out of his hand is, I think, 94, and he touches 96 in that outing. And he has a chance to, to be one of the top left-handers in the entire class. I mean, everything really depends on what role he's going to be used in come next spring and there's already been rumors that he might pitch on Sunday, which would be a scouting director's dream. I don't really know why he hmm. would go on Sundays, but that's what some of the area scouts have maybe said. They, maybe but they try to close him on Friday and then start him on Sunday. <laughs> that's probably why. That's, that, that would be the reason why. So we'll you could see. have the option of relieving him earlier in the weekend. Yeah. Which is but <laughs> unfortunate, he, but that's why that would be after. No, I mean, or, you know, I mean, he's, they also have Kevin Duchesne, Duchesne. who's cleared him with one guy. And, yeah, but then why wouldn't they use him on Saturday then? Well, I mean, he's also just a guy that hasn't started before. You know, yeah, I mean, he's, he needs to establish himself as a starter. So, I mean, there's, you know, I, I, I would not necessarily jump right, okay. to, the, right to the skeptical viewpoint. Okay. The, yeah. I, I, I was more the Fullerton viewpoint than the skeptical viewpoint. I mean, like, you just see that happen. A lot of our guy closes Friday and starts Sunday or 
Uh, I just have seen that happen. But you're right. It is more. I was thinking of it more from the Ted Silva point of view, but uh, as opposed to oh, they're going to rag him out because they've actually done a nice job developing that program over the last six, seven years in Illinois. This is not a fly by night. I just remember that the the, the regional they all, did they win the regional Fullerton or almost win it. No, but they played well. Yeah, I just remember that that the the the, the, Jordan, the Parr brothers is where I started noticing Illinois, and they've been consistent the last five, six years. I mean, I wouldn't think of them abusing. I would just think of them being college baseball about it and closing it out on Friday. But I, 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 there was buzz, I guess maybe just because I did the Midwest for our draft coverage. I, there was buzz on Tyler J coming into the summer. I'd never heard the name Dylan Tate. And 98, 99 miles an hour at times. I mean, Tyler J was everyday Tyler J because they had no other left-handed relievers. <laughs> Dylan Tate was a BA 500 guy out of high school. Okay. He was pure projection. He was okay. really skinny. Aaron's report absolutely nailed it coming out of high school. Yeah. Incredible. Fitzy. <laughs> but, I mean, he's the guy who made the jump. You know, he was yeah. he was kind of an 88 to 91 guy out of high school, really skinny, but loose. And, you know, people were excited about the projection. Uh, he, might, he probably touched some threes occasionally out of high school. But then, you know, to be 98, 99 two years later. I mean, Andrew Checkets, man. The guy, yeah, exactly. the guy is really good. I wouldn't say it's yeah. easy velocity, no, but no, it's, it's consistent not. velocity. It was every time out, was it not, Clint? Like he was 95 well, and above? Well, that was dependent upon the way that he was used. There was one day, I believe it was at Wilson, where they asked him to go three innings. Don't. And he had been used on an every other day basis leading up to that. And by the end of the outing, he was back down to like 91 or 92. But that's kind of going to be expected of a guy who I believe has never started a game in his college career. Yeah. And I think he had three innings in his freshman year. So this is obviously a very, very long yep. uh, long summer for him. But his breaking ball really has a chance to be one of the better breaking balls in the entire class. Sometimes, I mean, it was actually a very, very inconsistent offering. Sometimes it was below average. But when he had that thing going right, it was kind of a cutter-slider sli- hybrid. Some scouts said that it was a 70-grade offering. Mm. It was a true wipeout. And uh, and as John said, there is some effort in his delivery, but he has arm speed. It's electric. And, I mean, he's an absolute physical specimen. I mean, it's like just reading that report from a few years ago saying that he was this you know, kind of skinny, lean, projectable guy. Because yeah, he's, he's not skinny anymore. Of muscle. Yeah, he's not skinny. I mean, he's not bad. It's he's, good. It's no, a good was, body. I think he was 160 he's, he's pounds in high school. I mean, it was really skinny. Yeah. Wow. Well, these... Yeah, I, I mean, he's, he's got a change-up, too, that, that flashes at least above average. I mean, who knows how the delivery could play out of the rotation, but some scouts have have expressed interest in seeing how it could potentially play because he's got three pitches. The last couple of drafts, I mean, in every draft, if you're an established college bat with a track record and you perform either in the summer and then that spring, whether you're Chris Bryant or Colin Moran or Kyle Schwarber or whoever, you're going to go in a single-digit pick. Who are those college bats this year, either from either of these teams? I don't mean – a guy who's not just a position player, we're talking about the shortstops. I mean, a guy who's a bat, the corner bat. Who's that guy this year? Because I'll tell you, the, the well, it, college national team did not have that guy who performed like that this summer, Clint. And it doesn't feel, it feels like Ian Happ is Ian that guy. guy. Exactly. And I had somebody say that actually this summer was, well, he, he's kind of like that Conforto guy that could go in the top 10 picks based on the hit tool primarily. That's amazing. That's amazing that he's kind of the guy. But he has two summers now, and there's some. You know, I know he's a great athlete, but there's some. He has a little bit of everything: strength. He's shown you some power. Um, he's not a. Um, he's not a right. He's not a minus defender, at least in the outfield. He's, he sounds like he is in the infield. 
Is there another corner guy though? I mean, like, because yeah, Kristen Stewart, DJ Stewart, or either of the Stewart. I mean, DJ Stewart. A lot of people coming into the yeah. summer thought that if he had a good summer, he would solidify himself as that guy. You know what? There are still believers that think that with a, with just a solid spring, he'll reclaim that title because what he's done his first two years at Florida State really. I mean, yeah. it, it's been exceptional performance. He, seems he, didn't, most... he didn't come in in great shape, and he started slow. And the swing got a little long, and we know that it's not really an ideal stance. Right. His ability to control the zone, and he sees pitches so well, especially on the outer half. Great contact ability. I mean, he if he has if he has a good spring, he has a chance to go out pretty good. And just in terms of talking about the overall college position player crop, one evaluator said they think this is similar to the 2012 uh, crop of college players, where we had uh, Mike Zanino go overall, and then I think the next position player that went from the college side was Tyler Naquin, which is 12 picks later. And there were, if I remember it, only about five or six, or four or five in total from the, the college position player demographic. So some of these guys are really going to have to take steps forward uh, to really prove that, because Christian Stewart, he had a very strong summer leading the team, leading Team USA in almost all triple slash categories, and, uh, and all these other extra base hits and whatnot. I think he had one-fifth of their extra base hits. But at the same time, guys aren't sure where he's going to play. It's a left field profile, right. and he he, he did had, most he of his damage against the Coastal Plain League teams. For the for, from what I recall, yes, his damage his, was done early, not necessarily had, Cuba I, I, or Hong Kong. Nine or ten extra base hits in his first five games. It was really really loud, and the evaluators that saw him that first <laughs> that first stint really came away impressed. But at the same time, there is a ton of swing and miss, and it is it. It's kind of, I mean, the swing is just geared almost exclusively for fly, ball, fly balls. I think he yes. won five straight games at one point without grounding. <laughs> He's in and out of the strike zone pretty quick. And a guy yes. with that kind of approach is generally going to struggle with these BB core bats. I mean, you know, and, yeah. and even if you're if you're really strong and you connect a lot, then hey, you can maybe you can hit a bunch of home runs. But generally we see fly ball guys don't, don't succeed in college baseball. Yeah. And he doesn't have the track record of performance, but somebody who at least maybe has the tools to fit into this category is Chris Shaw, who yeah. has the most left-handed power of anybody on the Cape. Yep. And he had a, uh, a poor freshman season, but he performed this year. He's going to have to control his own better. But, I mean, Aaron, if he goes out and really performs this year, where, where do you think he could fit come next next June? He could be a first-round guy. I mean, I, I think, like you said, I think he's the best left-handed power bat in, in this class. Uh, I, I suppose he's in the Cape that jumps out to me. Um, you know, and, and, hey, he's probably a first baseman. Surprisingly, held his own in, in, in the outfield, but he's, he's a first baseman at the next level. I got a meeting to get to. I'm going to let you guys take the rest of this podcast and uh, just uh, just make sure you, you detail Connor Barron for me. Well, well, <laughs> this is the last time we might get to talk about Connor Barron. So. He's got a whole other year to go. This he's, is it. The year of Connor Barron starts now. He's been around a while. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think Shaw is, uh, um, you know, right now probably fits into that that third round range or so, but has a chance to move up, maybe like a Connor Gillespie, Casey Gillespie rather did this year. Yep. And we've talked about, uh, you know, quite, quite a few different topics here. Let, let's focus on the strength of the, of the college class though, which is the arms. And, yeah. you know, you look at the top three players in your Cape list were arms. Uh, you know, let, let, let's focus on that. And let, let's focus on Walker Bueller. Who it feels like right-handed pitching in particular. Yes. Right. I mean, last, last year we thought was very strong for left-handed pitching in the college side. This year, I don't, I don't see a lot of. I mean, you know, there are there are some, but it's not like the high end lefties like we've been used to seeing. Am I right about that? No, no question there. Yeah, I think just especially in comparison to last year, I mean, Tyler J might have as much upside as any as any left hand in this class might because we just don't know because he's never started a game. 
and Alex Young, you had ranked 11 in the class. And then after that, it, you know, there are some guys um, who could factor into the, you know, the top few rounds, but nobody right now is a sure, surefire first round candidate. I mean, Kyle Toomey, some of these guys in the middle, in the middle range. So yeah, the, the left-handers are down significantly from last year's class. But the right-handers, you got power arms. You know, I mean, um, we talked about about Cody. I mean, you know, Cody Ponce, another one of those big physical guys with with arm strength and, and um, I think promising secondary stuff. I, you know, it's hard Division Two competition. Um, I mean, he really made his money this summer. He's, yep. he's got to perform this spring, and he probably will. But what do you do, you know, with that guy? I mean, it's it's a little bit of different valuation there for for scouts. But and then Bueller, much less physical than both those two guys. But um, I love the fact that you know that he held his velocity through 140 innings this year. If you count the the, the spring and the summer, and he was still throwing, you know, 90. Five ninety six miles an hour um, in his last Cape game for, for YD, and you know he's just I think he's electric. Um, the only thing he doesn't have is is, is physicality, you know, yep. compared with some of these other guys we're talking about. So, uh, but neither does Carson Fulmer really. I mean, um, and then Funkhauser well, he has physicality, not stature. right, right. That's what I meant. That's what yeah. I meant. That's, there's, there's a difference. Fulmer's more physical than than Bueller, even though he's shorter. Yeah, um, that's that's a great that's a great point. I mean, to me, Fulmer, you and I have talked about this. I mean. I, you know, I think I think there's again. I hate throwing out. Well, I don't really hate throwing out. I love throwing out comps. <laughs> I, I think he's. I think he's got a lot of Sunny Gray in him. I mean, with just a, physically, they're both um, they're both short, but but very strong. They both have similar fastballs. They both have that hammer breaking ball. I think Fulmer's changeup's probably more advanced than Sunny's was at the same time. But Sunny had made progress with his changeup at the same stage in, in his development. Um, they both have this the, the kind of makeup that you love. Um, you know, both guys, you know, have, have had to fight the, the label of future reliever. Even Sonny Gray, everyone thought, oh, he's too short. He's got too much effort. He's going to have to be a bullpen guy. The command isn't fine. It's the same kind of thing you hear with Fulmer. Um, I, I think there's a lot of similarities there. I, I agree with you on that front. And, yeah, I mean, you look at just the history of short right-handers, and it's a limited list, and, you know, Sonny Gray has been one to, you know, who has bucked the trend, but... The control was a little better for him, and I think that's what you know evaluators really want to see over the course of extended innings this spring. Because I mean, he walked more than four per nine, and that's gonna that's gonna have to that's gonna move down into that three range, or hopefully into the two. But there's just there's a lot of effort in the delivery. Yeah. He's gonna be more one of the most fat. He's gonna be one of the most fascinating players, I think, in this in this entire class because we heard such a wide range of opinions when I was putting together the Team USA list. Most evaluators that I spoke with, actually every single one, thought that Funkhauser was the guy at the top of the list. He was unanimous choice there. But then beyond that, every, there were three other pitchers who received multiple votes for for the second best pitcher. And Fulmer had the most of those, but then some people thought that he should be fifth or sixth among the pitchers on the extreme end. So there's really just going to be a wide range of opinions with Fulmer just because of everything that he brings to the table. But the stuff is absolutely electric. Yeah, and, and I guess Funkhauser, you know, he's got the best combination here of size and arm strength, and um, you know, he's got a he's got a really good slider. Um, I mean, but to me, it still doesn't feel like a slam dunk one one guy, or no. even close to it. It's not like he's not he's not in the the Garrett Cole class or the um, you know, even though he's he's kind of you know isn't he kind of similar to Cole as far as his physicality. Um, but but Cole, I think, just had a much more electric arm, and no and, and his secondary stuff and was more, more electric. conventionally as he well. Did. And yep. I mean, he was taller, and 
Uh, I mean, I, I believe Von Kaiser is only six two. I mean, there's there's That's definite true. strength to the body. One of the things that he's really going to have to show next spring is the improved strike throwing ability. I mean, you look at over the course of his college career, he's walked four and a half per nine. That's right. He threw a ton more strikes this summer, and in many evaluators' minds, that was the separator for him over some of these other guys. But he's going to have to maintain that because, like you said, the stuff is not as is not as electric as some of the other players who might fit into this range. So he's going to have to continue to throw strikes at a on a on a better clip. Then of course you got Phil Bickford, who's uh, already been a top ten pick, and is now suddenly eligible for the draft as a sophomore after transferring to Southern Nevada. Um, and, and to me, you know, I, I think there's probably a temptation for people to run him up there up to the top of the list. But to me, he's got a lot to prove. To me, he's behind all these other right handers we've talked about, plus. Uh, Michael Matuela for Duke and, and, you know, the left-hander Kirby at Virginia. Uh, and I would probably put him behind Riley Farrell. I think he's – or at least right next to Riley Farrell. I don't think he's necessarily like, clearly ahead of Farrell uh, just because he has the, the track record of being a top-ten pick. You know, this guy has been electric in relief and not as electric as a starter in college so far. So uh, this summer, you know, he came back out. He was 93 to 97. I, I guess he touched the 98s uh, from depending on who you talk to. And, um, you know, let's see him do it as a starter. Let's see him develop his, his secondary stuff. Um, there are still question marks there. No question. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that, that that's a great way to think about it because, yeah, top 10 pedigree and a lot of people are going to try to push him up t- towards the top. But also we have to consider that evaluators really didn't bear down on the, him this summer. And granted, people are going to be heading to the College of Southern Nevada in heavy this spring. As much as maybe anyone in this entire class, with the exception of Michael Madwell, just because of the history there. But yeah, he's he's gonna he's gonna have to have the breaking ball take a step forward, and you're gonna have to show more velocity. Let's move on to uh, a couple of these next tier leagues and just touch on a couple maybe of guys that really stood out. I mean, you did the Alaska League. John had had kind of uh, hinted at it earlier. Um, I like I like Tyler Stubblefield, and he's not eligible for this draft. So I don't know if you want to focus on just the guys no, for this. Oh, he is. That's yeah, right. He's, he's eligible sophomore. sophomore okay. He is well, let's, very let's, old. Yeah, let's talk about Stubblefield then. I mean, to me, he's, um, you know, I mean, th- is that a guy that could jump up a little bit as a power left-hander, do you think? I absolutely think so. I mean, he has, in talking to evaluators, he has almost everything that you're looking for. He's got the great body. He's got athleticism. He set a bunch of high school records as a quarterback. Um, I mean, he's a consistent strike thrower. He filled up his own this summer and I mean, he has a history of striking out guys that are pretty high clip. He had the third highest strikeout rate of any left-hander in the SEC last year, and the fastball will sit in that 88 to 91 range, but will reach back for 94, and the changeup has a chance to be at least an above average, if not plus offering. So if the breaking ball comes, I mean, he's really he really checks off a lot of the boxes that you look for. So I think that he's definitely a candidate to go in the top few rounds. Now he is. Uh, I think he's going to be close to 22, if not if not 22, somewhere around draft day. So for a draft eligible sophomore, he is, you know, he's going to be pretty old old for the class. But yeah, he's he's got physicality and, and arm strength. You know, it's interesting that Texas A&M now three years in a row has tied for the most players on these summer college league lists, and that's partly because um, they send players to the Texas Collegiate League and they dominate those lists. Um, Alaska, they had two on your list this year with Stubblefield and Ryan Hendricks. Um, then of course I think they usually send players to the California Collegiate League. Um, this year I don't think they had anyone on that list, but uh, you know they, they, they do have arms there. You know, and and um, like we talked about Logan Taylor earlier. I like their talent coming back this year. Is Hendricks another one of those guys, Clint? That you think could could be kind of an X factor to watch for the Aggies this year? Oh no question. 
I mean, coming out of high school, I mean, he got he got quite a bit of draft interest. He was legitimately up to up to ninety five in the spring of his in the spring of his year, and you know, uh, he's got the best breaking ball on their entire team. So if the strike throwing ability and the effort and the delivery calm down a little bit, I mean, he could absolutely you know be a key member of that rotation because the stuff is good. I mean, it's going to sit potentially in the low nineties, touching ninety five. I mean, the change of passes take a step forward, but he's got he's got a good looking body, athleticism. There's lots like there with him. I like this Alaska list because um, you know Kyle Serrano is obviously a big X factor for for this college season um, and, and the 2016 draft. I mean he's he's got all <laughs> kinds of talent, but strike throwing is a huge concern uh, at this point. I mean it seemed like he's actually just got, gone backwards. Um, but uh, you know all the guys in this list. I mean Scott Hurst was a guy that you and I both really liked out of high school. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to be a superstar in college. Yep. Um, I like Miles Jones at Bakersfield. He's been a, a really good contributor there for a couple of years. Uh, athletic player that can you know play shortstop at this level. Um, and then Cameron Frost down interesting. I, I like Cody Nolf dating back to his freshman year at Pepperdine. Um, Josh Meyer, you know, sounds like an interesting catcher at Grand Canyon. This is a pretty strong top ten. I agree with you, and you know, with some of these guys, you know, we won't see the dividends pay off immediately, but down the road, you know, like you said, just with Riley Adams and Scott Hurst, two guys that have three years to develop in school, yeah. you could see both of those guys, you know, with the proper matur- maturation going in the top few rounds. I mean, Riley Adams was somebody, he was potentially in that third or fourth round range for some teams that like him this year because he has a plus arm, he's got a good-looking body, athleticism, you can project on the power, there's a lot to like with him. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, let's move on here. I touched on the California Collegiate League. Um, once again this year, I thought, you know, usually between the, the Santa Barbara Foresters and the San Luis Obispo Blues, you usually get most of, of, of the, the guys on this list. And that was the case this year, too. I mean, um, you know, Santa Barbara, you had John Duplantier from Rice, uh, who I think is very exciting. Um, you know, loose, um, athletic, three-pitch guy, um, you know, good velocity, really good breaking ball. I mean, I, I think he's going to be pretty darn good. And then Alec Hansen is, is a bazooka for Oklahoma, um, still learning how to pitch. You know, he's pretty raw, but boy, I mean, he can run it up there into the high 90s and has great body. Colorado kid that's got a fresh arm, uh, very exciting prospect. They had two Appalachian State guys on this list, uh, Jalen Davis, who, of course, we're familiar with because he's hit uh, home runs off Carlos Rodon two years in a row early in the season, but he's more than, than that. I mean, he's actually a very interesting prospect. He's got athleticism. Um, he's got a chance to stick in center field. He can run. Um, he's got some power potential. I think he's a, um, you know, some, somewhat of a five-tool guy. Actually, I'm not sure about the arm, but, but, but you know, he's, he's, a, he's a solid across-the-board kind of guy. And then the, Dylan Dobson for App State also had a great summer for, for the Foresters. Um, I think he's going to have a huge junior year for the Mountaineers. Just a guy that can really hit. Just a hitting machine and, and uh, can hold his own in the middle of the infield as well. Um, what about the, uh, the Northwoods League, Clint? Uh, anyone on that list? Any, any personal favorites for you? I think Ryan Bolt, you know, uh, he was with the, the Team USA during their trials, and a lot of evaluators were, frankly, very surprised that he did not make the team. And certainly, um, you know, because he is a little younger, that was probably something that weighed into the decision-makers' minds with USA, you know, with picking Tate Matheny over him. But from a prospect standpoint, he really impressed a lot of people. And he was someone who probably would have went in the top two rounds had he had a healthy spring uh, coming out of high school. But he has gained even more strength. The body looks great in the uniform. The power was significantly improved. He showed above-average pull power to his pull side. Still is running well, still shows natural feel for the game and instincts. 
he's someone that a lot of evaluators thought solidified or you know positioned himself to be to be a pretty good pick you know who goes potentially in the first round in 2016 there was a lot to like there and the rest of this uh the rest of this list is really just kind of highlighted by some of these rising rising sophomores uh you know, with two SEC arms factoring in that are to the top three with Jack, Zach Jackson from Wisconsin at number two, the right-hander, then uh, Connor Jones, left-hander, Georgia. Both of these guys showed arm strength, you know, both running it up into the mid-90s, 95 or so, with good bodies, athleticism. There's a lot to like with these guys. Neither of them played a critical role for their teams in the um, last year, but they could take significant steps forward next spring. Zach Jackson got a significant amount of time out of the pen. I think he threw about 40 innings with a pretty good strikeout rate. He could see significantly more time. And Connor Jones, uh, as long as the strike throwing ability takes another step forward, he's got the stuff. But to, to potentially emerge as one of the better left-handers, um, you know, looking forward to the 2016 class. And Pete Alonso, uh, the first baseman um, from UF, he really impressed a lot of people up there. Certainly. You want to stray away from the right-handed hitting uh, first baseman as long as you can. But even with that, a lot of people still were just really impressed by the bat. He shows the plus raw power, some quickness to the hands. The approach was good. Didn't strike out too much and hit for a lot of power. He's somebody who could go you know, within the top two rounds as well. Some interesting guys in that league, and it's, it's a shame, of course, that uh, uh, the folks who run that league didn't see fit to participate in our, our prospect survey. Very disappointed, of course, by that. Um, but we hope that they uh, revisit that decision in the future. Be more cooperative, like the rest of the summer college leagues. Um, Clint, there were a couple of breakout guys that I thought were interesting in other leagues. Ronnie Dawson, um, Ohio State, number one prospect in uh, in the prospect league. Um, very interesting athlete, you know, yeah. who can do a lot of different things out there. Talk about a breakout guy. Keep an eye on, on Ronnie Dawson. Um, you know, uh, John wanted us to talk about Connor Barron. Number one in our Texas Collegiate League list. This guy was an unsigned, what, third-round third pick round, yeah. out of high school? I mean, um, he was a big deal, and he's been a tease. You know, he's been disappointing his first few years here. But um, the reports on him this summer were, were very positive. So, I mean, you know, I, I'm going to withhold judgment a little bit here. Um, but maybe he's figured it out. Maybe he's just a late bloomer, you know. And, and for whatever reason, he, you know, he had some injury issues early in his career and um, – Position issues, tried to play shortstop. Of course, he came in as a shortstop, wound up in the outfield now, uh, which is where he's going to be. But uh, he can still hit, I think. I, I think he's got a chance to be a solid senior guy. You know, maybe he could jump up um, if, if he has a big senior year because he does have pedigree. Yeah. So keep an eye on him. How about the West Coast League? Um, you know, again, we've got incoming freshmen in this league, which seems to be That's kind the of the hallmark their, of the league. Exactly. I mean, for, for years, they've done a really good job. Um, getting those, especially the, the, the Pac-12 guys that are, that are rising freshmen. UCLA likes to send their guys up there. Um, you know, Oregon, Oregon State, of course. Um, but you know, th- this this year we got uh, two more pretty good ones at the top of your list with David Peterson and, and Sean Bouchard. Absolutely. I mean, David Peterson, he was a he was a very heralded guy after the showcase circuit. Certainly, love a left-hander who's at who's got some athleticism and a you know big six foot six frame, and then. He unfortunately broke his ankle just two weeks before the uh, the beginning of his season in Colorado. And if not for that, he had a shot to go in the top three rounds. He came back, but it was very, very late before the draft. I think he had a few appearances. Most of them were out of the bullpen, but he took a step forward. You know, his fastball was mostly, you know, touching in that 90 to nine, or 91-92 range over the course of the summer in the showcase circuit, sitting in the, you know, 86 to 89 
which with a significant sink from a you know with with some deception to the delivery and it took a step forward. He was up to ninety four this um, this summer and he's somebody. I mean, if the breaking ball continues to get a little bit better because he's got natural feel for the changeup. The changeup has some late diving action to his arm side. The breaking ball comes. He's got the body. I mean, he's got the arm strength. He really's got a lot of the things you look for. And speaking with a few of the people who saw that league with history of kind of the pipeline on the West Coast, they said that they think that he could become Tyler Anderson, who went, huh. um, you know, who went in the first round, I believe, in the 2011 draft of the Colorado Rockies. So he certainly has all the raw elements that you look for. Another Pac-12 guy was the number one prospect in the Coastal Plain League this year with Cal Quantrill. Um, you know, just kind of a real outlier in that league, you know, a guy that he's a premier talent and uh, he was kind of the slam dunk number one in that league, but uh, um, he had a great freshman year and he's, he's, you know, he's a star. I mean, there's, you know, this is a guy that has three pitches and has a, a plus fastball and um, knows how to pitch, you know yeah. I mean, and, 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 and big league bud lines. Yeah, and he threw against Team USA one of those first few days and, mm. and guys really, really came away impressed. He threw strikes. It was downhill. He's really athletic in his delivery, and the changeup was a plus offering. He's one of the better pitching athletes out there. I mean, he had a chance to rank high on on any list, whether it be the Cape or USA, because he he oozes potential. You love the way that the arm works, and he's extremely intelligent, a very hard worker. There's a real there's a lot to like for Cal Quantra. He's definitely going to factor in pretty heavily on some of these lists going into the 2016 draft. One of the other things that I like about doing summer college league lists is sometimes it, it helps crystallize um, certain college teams to keep an eye on heading into the next season. You know, I remember a couple of years ago, before Stony Brook had their big season, um, I was up in the Cape for a couple of weeks, and I kept running into these Stony Brook guys tearing it up. You know, Travis Jankowski and um, you know Tyler Johnson, and you know all these guys had really big summers. Certainly Max Tissenbaum, um, and, and you kind of had a feeling, hey, these guys our breakout team to watch for the next year. And this year, um, I think I kept running into Kennesaw State guys, you know, yep. in the Cape. Um, Cal Simmons is a, just a really uh, exciting uh, shortstop for them, a great athlete who can really who can really defend. Um, and then, you know, a couple of arms up there. Travis Bergen uh, is an interesting left-hander for them. Um, Maryland is another team yes. that, that I, want, I want to mention. I think they had five guys on our summer college yep. league list. And part of that is because they had a bunch of guys in the – uh, the Cal Ripken League right in their backyard, but some interesting guys there. I, I really like Brandon Loud, for instance, the second baseman. He was yep. a great freshman year. I think he was a freshman All-American, but um, he's an exciting guy. How about Alex Robinson, left-hander for, for Keene up in the New England Collegiate League, number one prospect in that league, Maryland kid, um, physical left-hander who really took a step forward this year with his velocity. He was kind of a high 80s guy out of high school. Um, we heard he was 92-96. Um, this summer with a with a really good slider. So um, this is a guy that could be a real breakout candidate as a junior this year. We're looking for left-handers, Clint. We've been talking about this. There's kind of a lack of those those um, front-line lefty prospects in this draft. That's that's a guy who could maybe jump up. No question. And one of the guys from Maryland who actually did not factor on the list, who has a chance to potentially intrigue some people come the spring, is uh, the third baseman for them, Jose Quas, who looks yes. good. He's athletic. He's got some. He's got arm strength over there to profile on the left side. He's got some fluid, athletic action, some power. Uh, performance is something that's going to have to come for him. But if you just looking for the athlete, because he runs pretty well, he actually runs significantly better now than he did in high school. He has a chance to potentially go out pretty good, right? Really looks the part. Yep. And um, you know he'll 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 flash you reasons to get excited. Yeah. Um, he needs to play harder than he did this summer. I, multiple reports. 
um, that were not pleased with his with his field makeup this year. So that's something to keep an eye on. But if he does that, um, I think that the physical ability is there. He really is. is a, I, I agree with you, Clint. I mean, he, he jumps out at you. Uh, he jumped out to me at the Super Regional against against Virginia. Like, yeah. That's a guy. You know that 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 uh, has real real big time ability. So we'll see if the makeup can match the ability. Yep. Now we'll we'll just uh, transition here to taking a few questions, and uh, a lot of the questions actually are about the high school class. So we'll just quickly run through those. Um, thanks thanks a lot, Chris Stevens, for asking about the Canadian crop of uh, high school players, and the class right now is really going to be highlighted by a few uh, by a few bats. Um, you know, Gareth Morgan was a guy who went out really good last year and got more than $2 million. And this year, uh, one of his counterparts, uh, Demi Ormoloy, has really impressed a lot of people on the showcase circuit. He moved um, from Nigeria when he was one years old to Canada. And uh, you can the, the upward arrow with, with Demi Ormoloy uh, is as high as anybody in the entire class right now. He made a ton of, of quality contact on the showcase circuit. And that was something that people had questioned because he was newer to baseball. He has a great-looking body. He loved the athleticism. He has, you know, a plus arm. He runs plus in the 60. So really just people wanted to see him make a little bit more contact, and he did that this summer. He had a great area code games. Um, he hit the ball all over the field hard. And uh, and Josh Naylor, uh, the first baseman, yeah. strong-bodied guy, extremely young for the class. I think he's still going to be 17 on draft day. He's somebody, if you're looking for a power profile, like we talk about Chris Shaw and some of the other guys in the college class, from the high school class, he's one of the better, you know, power bats out there. Now he has not made as much contact over the course of the summer as he did earlier in his career, but he's got plus bat speed. You can dream on the power. I mean, he's a bottom of the defensive spectrum sort of guy, but he could, uh, you know, if somebody really believes in the bat and the hit tool, he has a chance to go out pretty good. And you know, it's funny this question was asked here um, on the 16th because this is the day that the uh, tournament 12 starts. In Canada, so a lot of Canadian baseball players will be flocking there to the Rogers Center for a great event in the second year there. Um, they they really impressed a lot of people with the quality of uh, of talent there last year in, in the inaugural event and this year. In talking to some evaluators who have a deep history with Canadian class, they think that uh, this has the potential to be the best collection of Canadian talent because they're going to have the current year's draft class and. Uh, down to rising sophomores, and this wow. three-year collection of talent is as good as um, any potentially we've seen in, in from, from Canada in the last uh, ten or twenty years. You wrote about Naylor a little bit this summer, you know, um, when over the course of your travels, and it certainly sounded like a intriguing guy. And, and you know, it's interesting that Canada is is really up this year, um, and you know, kind of the, the whole upper Midwest. It seems like yeah. you know, there's that band of states that look really strong. You and I were talking about this before the before the podcast today. Um, really, I mean, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, um, Ohio. You think? I mean, especially the high school side, right? Yeah, it's, yeah with Chandler Day, absolutely. Um, Going through Indiana. Yeah, Indiana, yeah. and then and then you know Illinois has has. I think we talked about the college guys there that stand out. Because um, we didn't even mention Ryan Perez, who factored and was yeah. it 23rd or 24th on your list. So Ryan just, Perez is a legitimate prospect. Yep. He's not just a gimmick guy that throws with both arms. I mean, this guy, yeah, you know, he's probably a prospect as a left-handed reliever. It's probably what he's going to be, but it's a legitimate plus breaking ball, uh, fairly fairly regularly, you know, and 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 he can manipulate it, and uh, and he's up to 93 from the left side, and he's athletic. Um, that's that's a that's a guy. Yeah, and just kind of go back to what you know focused on the geographic regions that really have a chance to be strong this year. I mean, I, I think it's fair to say that Nashville has a chance to be the epicenter yeah. of the 2015 draft. Just like last year, you know, we were very fortunate with where we are in North Carolina as the 
you know, is the central part of North Carolina with having Trey Turner and Carlos Rodon and Jeff Hoffman an hour and a half away. You know, we had three of the top 15, or sorry, three of the top 13 picks were within an hour and a half drive. And there with, uh, you know, with the two with the two right-handers at, at Vanderbilt and Swanson, and then you just go up by, by one state and, you know, Louisville has Funkhauser and Kyle Cody, two of the players we've already discussed, and you go up just to the tip of Ohio and you got uh, Ian Happ there with Cincinnati. So that, that three-state stretch right there is probably going to be one of the strengths of this entire class. Well, do we have time for any more podcast questions here, or we, uh, we need to wrap it up? Sure, I think we got uh, we got one other question that we'd like to get through. It's just about uh, Alonzo Jones, a very athletic middle infielder from Georgia who's a Vanderbilt commit. He's going to be one of the more fascinating players in this entire class. The speed is the best in the entire class. He's had multiple events where he's ran, uh, I believe, at East Coast Pro in the 60s. He was uh, 6 uh, Six two five at PG National. He was six one seven, a switch hitter. And towards the end of the summer, he started to show at least average raw power from both sides of the plate. Um, so there's a lot to like there. Premium athlete. Now he's going to have to answer some defensive questions. Even though he has at least an average arm, maybe a tick better. He's going to profile more at second base if he stays in the dirt because of the actions and some of the instincts there. But a lot of people would like to see him. You know see how he reads the ball out in center field, see if the instincts, you know, match the athleticism out there. Because uh, from a tool standpoint, he is one of the tools your players in the high school class. Wow, very exciting name to keep an eye on. I guess Vanderbilt fans should be should be sweating that one yep. to answer the, the, I think it was a view Hawk Talk asked that question. All right, guys. Well, I think that's all we got time for today. Uh, thank you to Clint Longnecker for um, his incredible coverage all summer, starting with the um, the showcase circuit. Um, you know, nobody does it better. You get out there and, and you're on the road almost the entire summer, it seems like, and you come back to the office and you got to crank out summer college league lists uh, and did a fantastic job, as usual, with all of those. Thanks to all of our um, legion of writers, interns, former interns, uh, freelancers who contributed to our, our summer college league project this year. Thanks to John Manuel for getting us started on this podcast here and then taking off, leaving <laughs> us to... Run with it, and I uh, hope you guys enjoy uh, the Summer College League coverage, and uh, we're looking forward to more draft coverage uh, on the way this fall as we look ahead to 2015. For Clint Longnecker and John Manuel, I'm Aaron Fitt. Thanks again, everybody. Till next time. Easter is just around the corner, and what better way to celebrate the spring season than with a Miki Couture blanket? Whether you're gathering with family for an Easter egg hunt or just enjoying a quiet day at home, Minky blankets are the perfect addition to your Easter festivities. Made with ultra-soft and luxurious materials, these blankets will keep you cozy and comfortable, while their stylish designs will add a touch of spring to your day. And with a wide range of colors and patterns to choose from, there is a Minky blanket for everyone. So this Easter, make your day even brighter with a Minky Couture blanket. Head to MinkyCouture.com now and find your perfect blanket just in time for Easter. Happy Easter from Minky Couture.